Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode number 94, In the Lino Cave with Susanna, recorded on March 22nd, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. Well, we are safe in our houses, and I hope that everybody else is too. It's a great time to listen to a podcast, don't you think, Mom? I think so, and I have been. And I've been also just hunting around, finding all kinds of interesting stuff happening on Instagram and Instagram stories. And I actually feel like it's funny. Although we're isolated, I actually feel more connected with lots of people. Yeah, I think people are really making an effort. I mean, people are doing concerts in their houses. People are reading books, offering drawing lessons. I know I have a free online class that I did just because of our, uh, it's our coronavirus class called the two-week art journal, which is originally, right, they said we were all going to be our houses for two weeks. So I figured, oh, I'll do this class to cover the time that people are in their houses. But I think I, think I really need to do the two-month, six-month art journal class is what it's looking like. Oh, no. I know. I know. Let's not think about it. Anyway, so some other things just to note is, of course, that free online class is available to you at BallsResigns.com. I also have a new online class called The Basic Pleasing Face, which is all about how to draw that face, which is the basis of all of the work that I do. It's one of the most frequent questions I get. And if you're looking for more, as in more ideas, more fun, more connection, more creativity, consider a Balzer Designs membership. The monthly membership is about the price of a cup of fancy coffee, and we know you're not going out to get that anymore. So it's $5.99 a month. You get a live online workshop. It's an hour long where you get to ask questions, and I do demos based on your questions and your requests. And plus, you get a monthly vlog. I hope you like babies, because there's a lot of babies in the vlog. And as always, if you like to help the show, post about the episode on social media and let other people know how awesome it is. So our guest today is Susanna McDonald. Now, Susanna is a Boston-based printmaker and textile designer. She holds a BFA from the New York State College of, Cer- of Ceramics at Alfred University. She has studied and taught m- many mediums through the course of her life, but is currently obsessed with printing geometric patterns on fabric, and she does it really, really well. If you've never seen her Instagram, you, you, you won't understand the title of this episode, which is In the Line Okay with Susanna. And I was saying to her when we first started, I don't know how to pronounce your name because I've only ever called you Lino Cave. So welcome, Susanna. Thanks so much for having me, Julie and Eileen. Absolutely. Now, will you tell us where, where did that username come from? That username came from, um, well, uh, lino or linoleum that many people who do relief printmaking cut into. My new, my, 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 I don't use much lino these days because on fabric, Speedy Carve is uh, my favorite. And Cave uh, is a family name of my husband's, and it's my son's middle name. Um, and uh, my husband also built me a studio in a little dormer area of our upstairs of our house. So it's kind of got a cave like appearance. So that's where it came from. It's, and by the way, if you follow Susanna on Instagram, you will see fantastic photos and videos from the Lino Cave where you get to see that dormer in action because you do a lot of things where you show the process of printing this enormous yardage of fabric. 
Yes, oh, I love printing yardage. And I just did a big project for Speedpaw where I hand printed 18 yards of fabric. What? Yes. I'm, I'm just trying to, I mean, it boggles the mind. I'm trying to think about for somebody who has never printed on fabric and may not understand the sheer difficulty of that. Can you explain a little bit uh, what printing on fabric is like? Um, well, firstly, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's something really magical about it. Uh, and I can't quite describe, I mean, printmaking there, it just has that sort of quote unquote, oddly satisfying thing to it where you peel it back and see what you've created on your surface. And then doing it on fabric, I find even more interesting because then you can take that fabric and transform it into something else. And it has a life of its own and it has a purpose and you can use it for things. So, uh, I just love it. Um, it's physical. I mean, you make every, you ink up the plate and you make every single impression by hand. You've got to put a lot of pressure on it to get a nice print. And um, you can't really do it sitting down very easily. So you've got to be standing up, leaning over um, and flexing those muscles. Uh, and but also I was thinking about not only um, fabric management, because that's a lot of yardage, but also registration because you do so many beautifully complex geometric prints that that registration has to be really spot on. Uh, it does, and it does go wonky sometimes. I have a few different tools in my in my belt that help, but uh, for this particular project, um, there was an allowance uh, for it to go off and I could just sort of make a little space on the fabric and start again because they're act they're, they're what they're actually doing is they picked uh, myself and two other artists and commissioned 18 yards of fabric from each of us, which they were then going to cut up and turn into the sample booklets for the, um, you know how you get from like, um, if you're a designer, you get the, like a fabric swatch booklet. Yes. That's what they're making out of our fabrics to um, display at art supply stores uh, where they sell the fabric block printing ink. So, so they're still cool. in the process of making it up. But one of these days, you'll walk into Blick or Artisan Craftsman Supply or wherever, and you can check out all the different fabrics. Uh, so they're being cut up. So the registration wasn't super important. But yes, it is really important to keep it registered and all, all lined up. But I'm a human being after all. It does go wonky sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's the that's some of the pleasure to me of things that are hand printed as opposed to you can upload your design digitally like into Spoonflower and have yards and yards and yards printed and it's perfect every time. Is hand printed work, you know, you see where the print where that ink wasn't quite right or where the pressure was a little bit different than the one before and you see like where it slightly went off and there's something so wonderful about that. I agree. Which is why we're printers, I suppose. <laughs> yes. So, uh, for people who don't know, Speedball is a huge art company that makes tons of printmaking supplies, right? They make, I, I love their Speedy Carve. I love their block printing ink, all that stuff. And I know you're a Speedball ambassador, is that right? Uh, I'm a demo artist, yeah. It's a new program, a professional. I was in their professional artist network previously, and then they uh, put out a call for applications for demo artists. So that means that they brought a bunch of us to the Speedball factory in North Carolina, and we had two days of training with all their products. We learned um, from their uh, 
uh, staff about all the different speedball products, how to demo them. So uh, now I can go into stores and show other people um, how to use their awesome products and just try and spread the joy of printmaking, which is like an awesome job to have. <laughs> it's a super awesome job. And have you have you had occasion to have there been a lot of demos in stores? Are you traveling around and doing that? Um, I, I mean, ha- not I've right done- now, obviously. <laughs> Not right. I know next week I was supposed to be at National uh, Art Educators Association convention demonstrating for two days. Um, But obviously not happening. So, um, yeah, I have done some uh, in-store demos and it's really fun. And I found that the audiences were really engaged. People were really excited to learn more about printmaking. Um, Do you usually demo carving or printing or both? Um... I demo more printing. Sometimes I'll show like my top tips for carving. Usually I have everything there carved, ready to go. And I let people like I have sample stuff if people want to try out carving for themselves, see how it feels. But uh, just because that's such a, you know, long process that uh, I don't demo it as intensely as I would like getting proper ink coverage and pressure and prepping your surfaces and all that type of thing. And do you find that there are some common questions that people have every time about printmaking? I think people really want to know, like, you know, how much ink to put on to get a good impression and what materials they should be using. Um, Actually, after those things, it's really fun to walk the aisles and be like, no, you need this, get this, buy that. Oh, you don't have to spend money on that this time. You can try this, you know, that's really fun and helping steer people uh, toward just having what they need because some, because sometimes it's just, you know, having the right materials for the job really, really helps. You're a private art materials shopper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of nice. So I want to back up for a second and say, um, sort of talk about your journey and how you got started. Now I know you have a BFA. Is it in, um, printmaking? No, it definitely is not. I always wanted to be a glass blower. Uh, and I was a for a long time. And uh, I was a production glass blower. I would do my own art stuff. And it was all it was like all I ever wanted out of life. But um, it's interesting because, you know, both the glass blowing and printmaking are very physical arts. Yeah. Um, do you bake bread? Because that's very physical too. I am making bread, although I'm today my <laughs> no need dough is rising right now. For 18 hours, I'm doing a long proof and I'm making Parmesan broth today. That's on the stove too. I can smell it. <laughs> so yes, I love cooking too. Um, but yeah, I uh, yeah I. I I, I don't really, I'm not like, I don't really, I'm not really into like working out or exercise, but I like, I do like uh, using my body. So I think that I just end up, you know. Yeah, gravitating yeah, toward those way. kinds of things. Yeah. So uh, how did you, well, let's talk about when you fell in love with glass blowing. Like, did you see someone doing it when you were a kid? Did you try it and love it? Like, how did that love happen? Um, well, it's very easy for it to happen once you see it, because it really is a totally magical process. Um, where I went, Alfred University, or New York State College of Ceramics at Alfred University, um, 
is out in western New York State, kind of in the boondocks, but it's very well known for its ceramic program uh, as well as, as its glass program. And they have a balcony above the glass blowing studio where I would just sit for hours and hours and hours on end and watch people blowing glass. And uh, to this day, like, you know, some of the people I went to school with are absolutely incredible out working with the best maestros and doing amazing work on their own. So there were some really incredible people that I got to watch on a daily basis there. Um, and I did it for a long time. And I actually went and took a week-long uh, class this summer at Corning um, with an Italian master after not have not touching glass for 10 years <laughs> so that was a little bit of a uh a stretch but it made me realize that i still really do love glass but i think ultimately i'm a better printmaker than i ever was a glass blower so you know here i am how did the transition happen like when did you fall in love with printmaking and transition you know like w how did that whole thing happen it's sort of funny because, and, and especially like lino printing, I, I like literally only ever did it in fourth grade at school. Um, I did, when I was in, I did a little bit of graduate school. I don't have a graduate degree, but uh, I was at Iowa State and I did screen printing. I did lithography. I did mono printing, holograph, um, but never did relief printmaking. But I, I did really enjoy printmaking, but then I sort of went off and forgot about it and went back to glass blowing and did that. And then uh, I was a grade school teacher. Uh, I taught at Maimonides School in Brookline for seven years uh, for ages, you know, sixth grade through high school and had to develop a lot of different, um, you know, projects for my students. And one of them was lino printing because it's just, you know, it's simple, it's easy to do in the classroom and you can get beautiful results. So, you know, through creating those assignments for kids, I sort of got my hands back into it. And then eventually I left. Um, and uh, we used to have uh, two separate classrooms, one for the older kids, one for the younger, and they were changing some stuff around at school and they married the two classrooms and so that meant we had double supplies of everything and when I left the teacher was like oh I don't really teach lino printing why don't you just take some of that stuff home because I'm not going to use it I was like okay and you know it got chucked in my studio I I unlike you Julie I have to hand it to you for being able to like work this much with a little baby I was just like I had no capacity to even deal. Like my kid didn't sleep longer than four hours for two and a half years. And oh my oh God. God, you poor woman. I was a wreck and I'm an insomniac on top of that. So like, I couldn't go back to sleep once he'd wake me up. I was just like, I was like a shell of a human being. But finally he went off to preschool and I sort of found myself with these blocks of time during the day. And my husband had made me a studio while I was eight months pregnant and I'm like, you know, of course I was like miserable. I'm like, what am I going to do with this stupid art studio? And he's like, uh. Definitely it's his fault. <laughs> it's all your fault. Um, and uh, so I found myself these blocks of time and I'm like, what should I be doing with myself? Um, and I just pulled out those printmaking supplies that I had brought home, you know, a while back. And I just, I don't know, I just started printing stuff and then I, I didn't even have like a personal Instagram account I just 
opened an Instagram account and started taking pictures and stuff. And, and that was it. This is history. And how long ago was that? It was about two or three years ago. So it's not even that long if you really think about it. And I was going to say, I must have then encountered you on Instagram close to when you started. I feel like, because I feel like I've been following you for quite a while. I think we found each other through the Carve December project. Yes, which I always am a slacker on, but I try and get (laughs) to it. (laughs) Well, you have a wonderful project called uh, Printer Solstice, and I know that's actually going on right now. Will you explain to people what that is? Yeah, so kind of like Carve December, um, my friend Mindy Schumacher, whose handle is Follies and Prints, uh, and Ooh, as I a fun did... fact, Mom, I believe you have a table runner that I bought from her shop that I bought for you that's a oh. hand block printed. Yes. I like it very much. Great. Yes, she's very talented. And she helped me actually when I was getting started. I don't know how she discovered me. And then she ended up helping me a lot with tips because I'm like, what am I doing here? Why doesn't this look like the way I want it to? And she was a person who was very generous with saying, like, no, try this, do that. And, and she helped me out a lot. And then um and then we taught one of my uh techniques that I did for my students as a class on Instagram uh called reduction grid uh and so it's a reduction print in a grid format and we did that together and it was more of a success than I ever thought it would be and then we decided like why don't we do a printmaking campaign for the winter everyone's stuck in you know winter's great printmaking weather and um my husband who's the clever one came up with printer solstice. Um, and so we started it for the first time last year and we put out 10 prompts, their weekly prompts. So people had enough time to design, carve and print each, um, item. Like we didn't want to get people, you know, too, uh, you know, rushed or, or feeling, you know, pressured with it. And, uh, People, I mean, people just participated and did it. And it's just so amazing that, you know, you get these people from all over the world following these prompts and they all get connected. You discover new people who you'd never heard of. And um, so we did it last year and we decided to do it again this year. And we just extended it because now that everyone's trapped in their house, they're like, ah, printer souls has just ended. We're like, yeah, we can come up so with some more prompts. Can you give us an example of what a prompt is for Printer Solstice? Is it like general? Is it small? Is it big? Um, we try and keep them pretty broad and open-ended so that they can appeal to a lot of people. And we tell people, you know, we we give some um, guidance as to what we think about them, but we try and let people just, you know, interpret them in any way that they they want like for example the first prompt which falls on the uh the darkest uh day of the year like around december 20th um the beginning of the solstice uh last year our prompt was let there be light and so people could you know interpret that however they like uh and then this year we changed it we did the opposite and we did noir um and sometimes you know we do ones that are you know like for example new beginnings at the new year so people can sort of reflect on their year um uh we'll do uh there was one called crystallization and you know during sort of the middle part of the winter so we try and um time it to the actual season which is nice 
Yeah, so we yeah we try to have them tied, and then the final one for the original Printer Solstice was Spring is Springing, and that's when it was supposed to end. But now we've made a few more, and for the extension, we didn't. We just gave six prompts that people can do when they want, and we're just keeping it open, being easy on people because I think we all need that right now. So if people want to participate, how do they find the prompts and is there a hashtag that they're supposed to use when they post? Yes, the prompts are on my page, Lino Cave Prints, or on Mindy's page, Folly Some Prints, um, and they can use the printer solstice hashtag. Um, and um, the the continuation we made in French is Edition de Printemps, which uh, it means spring edition, but Printemps or Printemps, uh, as we are pronounced it in English, because it has the word print in it. We just couldn't resist uh, using spelling <laughs> of, of, of spring. So, um, and uh, if they, you know, tag us in, in their posts, we try and, you know, pay attention and like them. And if they tag us in our stories, we repost them as does Speedball is really good about reposting stories. Um, and so, and then for all of the, for all of them, there's like for printer solstice, there's a weekly winner that gets ink from Speedball and also, uh, Alice from imprinted, uh, will feature her favorite for every prompt as well on her, uh, printmaking feature account, which is always nice to, you know, get a few new followers and have some exposure for your account. By the way, people who don't know about Imprinted, uh, in case you don't know, that's a wonderful uh, account where it's just fantastic prints from all different uh, printmakers constantly. So if you're interested in printmaking of any kind, it's a way to get to discover new people and some new ideas and maybe some styles that you're not used to or something like that. Yeah. So as far as Printer Solstice is concerned, I assume anybody can participate no matter if they're just a very beginning carver or very advanced. Absolutely. We are welcoming everybody and it doesn't have to be carving. It can, if you're a screen printer, if you do intaglio, uh, whatever you want, like as long as it's print, if you're printing with a potato, like come on in, we're, we're happy to have you. <laughs> I love that. So now I want to talk about your prints for just a second because the prints that you make are very, very intricate um, and detailed and precise. And that sort of, I think of them as sort of like a love of geometry maybe. Um, do you think that that's an accurate description of your work or is there another way that you would describe it? No, you got it. Um, and don't ask me how I ended up there either because math was not my thing. So, <laughs> uh, I, and that was another, uh, how I arrived at that was like, um, it was actually the friend who got me the job teaching at Maimonides school. She was the lower school teacher and she was like, do you want to just do this class for me? And I'm like, okay, you know, sure. You know, why not? Uh, she just randomly had given me an old compass set. And she's like, do you want this compass set? I'm like, sure. And then I just started drawing these patterns and I never learned how to do it. I never took a lesson. I never, I never did a scant bit of research on pattern design, nothing. I just started doing it. It came from some Rain Man aspect of my 
Like, <laughs> not identify. But I actually, I have to tell you, I am a great believer in the learning it by doing it. There are so many things that I have figured out by accident because I made a hundred mistakes. And so then I understood, you know, oh, wait, that doesn't work. So I have to do this. So I have to do that. And it's like, I think you somehow, when you learn that way, instead of somebody telling you, A, I think you value it differently, but B, I think it really like gets into your brain and your body and everything like that because it it really came from your own ingenuity and your own thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm definitely a learner by doer. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's nothing like a mistake to sort of like humiliate you and be like, I will never do that again. <laughs> right. And, and printmaking can be brutal with mistakes because there can be that moment when you carve away something that completely ruins the block and there's just yeah. no way to get it back. And we've all done it. You know, it's hideous. No. But to me, what I always say is half of art is learning how to hide your mistakes <laughs> uh, and incorporate them into your art and make it look like you meant to do that. I love that. Uh, so let me ask you, because you do have, do you have one child? Two children? I have one child. You have one child. Yeah, I have one child. Um, how do you balance the creating with motherhood? Um, he's in, it's a lot easier now that he's in school, oh, except for now. <laughs> uh, now, not so much in school. Um, he, you know, he goes to school from nine to four every day. And, you know, that's a fair, nice block that I have most of the time to work. And now that I'm so accustomed to having him out of the house, sometimes I find like, even if he's in the house and he's like completely ignoring me and doing his own thing, I still like, I don't quite feel like I have the like emotional space to really make my art, you know, cause it might be interrupted or he might want me to make him lunch or whatever. But, but yeah, I have, you know, th those good time periods and, and that's basically how I do it. And then sometimes, you know, my husband and I trade off putting him to bed. So I'll have time in the evening if I want to do stuff too. So a question that many people have asked me that, I, and I've sort of been grappling with this since I had a baby, people have asked me, how has he changed your art? And it's a funny question for me because A, he's not even four months yet. I don't know that I've had the time for him to change my art other than make me faster. Um, but <laughs> I guess, so I'm putting this out to you as a more experienced mama. Has, did having a child change your art, does he have an influence on the work that you make? Well, you know, I, th I think uh, the, the, the making faster is, uh, is sort of uh, what I would say is it, it, all, it almost sort of gives an urgency to it. Whereas before I'd be like, yeah, whatever, I can do it later or I can do something else right now. I, don't, I always have time for it. Now that I know, like, you have your time while he's at school. It's happening now. And, and, and sometimes, you know, just for making art, it's just about putting one foot in front of the other and doing it like, or, or leaving it set up for yourself. So the next day when you come back to it, it's, everything's ready. You've got your mise en place ready and your, you know, what you need out and you can just get started and, and go, go, go. So I'll say I, I'm with you there. That, and I, I don't really do any, like, since I don't do representational work, it's not like he's influenced that, so. 
But I did notice you have recently been printing um, some sweatshirts, which I love, and I've been eyeing. I've been hoping that you would do some uh, some very large size ones because I have a man in my house who I think would love those geometric prints. Um, and you had some kid size ones too, which I assume do you put him in your printed designs? Sometimes, um, and he actually prints too. He he likes really? it. Um, yeah, I have, I think, like, two Instagram posts. He's printing a T-shirt, although he tires of it very quickly. He's like, this is boring. I'm done. <laughs> you know? um, but he's a good little printer, and he keeps his little fingers clean, and he inks stuff up properly. And he actually, um, he printed all of his Valentines for his class. I, it was my design. He printed them all, and he did everything. The only thing I did was place the paper in my little teeny press, and he pressed them all, and then he waited till they all dried, and he wrote them out, which I was shocked that he had the attention span for, but he did it. So, How old is he? Um, That's great. Uh, he's seven. He's all right, seven. Julie. That's awesome. I know, so I just have to wait seven more years. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually printing earlier than that and and he's not like specifically that arty of a kid he's more into like science and tech um but he does he he, he does think it's cool and then i had his friends over and and one of his friends who, who is really arty he's incredible uh and he really wanted to do printing and and he did it so um we printed some hoodies but yeah the hoodies i don't know i guess i just started printing t-shirts and then i was like why not hoodies and you well, know. what is so cool about them, I have to say, beyond the fact that your designs are fantastic, is the way that you print them with the multicolored ink, with the color transitions, they're so beautiful. I just, I love looking at them. I think they're amazing. Oh, thank you. Do you wear your own things that you print? I am. I'm wearing it now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, obviously you guys can't see, but Susanna just stood up and showed us on screen that she is, in fact, wearing a fantastic blue sweatshirt covered with her beautiful prints as well, which is awesome. So I have a couple more questions just about sort of your um, the arc of your art career and all that kind of stuff, which is... First, do you think that, because we know you transitioned out of glass, do you think that lino and in general like block printing is something that is sort of going to be a lifetime passion or do you sense that this is a period you're moving through and there are other things that are kind of tingling at the outside of your senses? Um, that's a great question. Uh, have I thought about that? I thought, well... In, in terms of, like, what I would transition into, I'm trying to think of different ways that I would want to, like, monetize it more so than depart from printing. I, I don't, you know, if you try and sell hand-printed items individually, there's not much scaling you can do. Like, you don't really earn that much money from them. But the act of doing them uh, informs, you know, your practice. So I would love to, like, as you were talking about spoonflower fabrics, I'd love to try and design some fabrics for spoonflower or, um, you know. Licensing is the way to make a lot of money. Yes, doing, uh -huh. doing okay. things like that. And uh, online workshops. Uh, I still love teaching. I really, really love teaching, um, especially when I can teach a passionate group of adults that is so thrilled to be there like that's that's far more satisfying to me than like 
quote unquote selling merch, uh, which is fun too. I've, I've, you know, if, if people like stuff, I'm glad, but like teaching people to do stuff, um, is really satisfying to me. There's so joy in that because it's like there's something in being able to transfer your passion to someone else and see those little light bulbs go off. That's exciting and fun. Yes. And I love like giving the same set of directions to everybody and then seeing what everybody's different perspective is. Like you can, you tell everybody the same thing at the beginning of class, you give them all the same directions and then however their mind interprets it results in something uh, totally different. And I, I love doing workshops and just at the end, looking at everybody's work and being like, wow, oh, I really love what this person did and that person. They all come out great. So that's the fun thing about like the printer solstice too, with the prompts, which is you say one prompt, let there be light. And then you have all these amazing different ideas because everybody's wired differently and their brains work differently. And I think that that is fascinating, endlessly fascinating. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. Now, uh, I know that I asked you to look into a crystal ball to see what your future might be, which is really obviously difficult and hard to know. Um, but we were also started to talk about sort of monetization. And I wanted to just jump back to something you said very briefly when you're talking about how selling hand printed stuff just isn't a money maker, because I think it's so hard for people to understand, especially because Etsy has in many ways been a terrible thing and crashed the market for people who uh, make things by hand because people sell things for cheaper than I can even believe they could make it for. Just like, meaning labor is worth nothing and less than the supplies could have even cost. I don't understand how the economics of it make it work. So there's this expectation now, I think that customers often have that handmade items should be cheap. In fact, cheaper than store-bought ones, which actually makes no sense at all. So the time and effort it takes, for instance, just to do to hand print like an eight by 10 print, you know what I mean? People think of it as reproduction because, well, you're just, you know, something you've already carved and you're printing it, but it's not. And obviously the time that you spend carving and testing and making like that has to be factored in. The actual print itself takes time and paper and effort. And like there are mistakes all the time that happens in dirty fingers and whatever else, you know. So it's a weird economy, don't you find? And then you got to photograph it. Then you got to list it. Then you got to sell it. Or, you know, you if you're going ship to ship it, bill, fee, yeah, ship it, everything. So it's like, okay, by the time you add all this up, oh, great, I made um, $15, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's almost like more of a marketing play, the handmade stuff, and that, that people enjoy seeing it and, you know, may buy it here and there, but it's not something that you can, like, make a real living on. Yes, I agree. You'd have to have a sweatshop of people for it to make any sense. And even then, you know what I mean? It would be tight. It would really have to be an illegal sweatshop for it to work. I mean, maybe yeah. when my baby grows up, he'll have little hands that can do things really quickly. But we'll see. Do like the little hands are like, oh, that's why. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so uh, the other thing I'm wondering about is who are some, um, artists that you really like, like, or respond to, and you find have influenced your work in some way? I was going to ask that. Oh, oh, see? Oh, you've stumped. Well, I know plenty <laughs> of people I like. This is like, now I'm like, oh, pressure. Well, we did talk about Mindy already. 
really, I mean, she makes beautiful work, obviously, and, and just like super helpful. But I think that the pr printmaking community in general is just like so welcoming and so nice. And we've met so many people uh, through Printer Solstice and just like other, you know, uh, just general interacting and having fun on Instagram. Um, I don't know who I would say like specifically influences my work. I try not to, um, I try to come from a place of originality, but, um, people that I, they don't have to influence you in this, but well, like, uh, you, whose work you love. If you see there's an exhibit, you'll go and see it. Or if you stumble across a book of their work, you'll go and look at it. Um, well, we are big museumers and big travelers. So anytime I have an opportunity to go to a museum for any reason, uh, it's like we're going, we're in. We just we, we went to London in the fall and had a fabulous time going into all the mostly free museums, which is just so great. And, um, we even dragged our kid through all of them, too. Um, What's no, your favorite I museum in the Boston area? Um, I mean, I love the plants at the Gardner Museum, but I think, like, every time I go to the Peabody Essex Museum, I've never failed to be impressed with what they, uh, with what they have. Um, and then one, one place that I haven't gone to is the Museum of Printing in Haverhill, uh, which I, I didn't even know it like existed. Right. I'm writing that down. Museum of Printing in Haverhill. I have to make a trip. I mean, not now. Yeah. But someday. <laughs> Sometime when we get released from our house cages. <laughs> exactly. Well, Mom, do you have other questions? Uh, well, I was first going to say that I gave Julie and my son each a print when they had their child. I think it's wonderful to, you can, for not really that, that much money, you can give someone a lovely piece of art, um, which is, I, I don't know why people don't realize there's an enormous amount of skill that goes into just even the technological part of putting together a print. I gave them each a Barry Moser print. I don't know if you know him, but he he does a lot of illustration, book illustration. And I'm very drawn to all kinds of books that have gorgeous big um, illustrations. And one of the uh, podcast, or it's not really a podcast, one of the Instagram things that I told Julie to watch during this period of being locked in is all these children's book authors uh, have taped videos about either reading their books or uh, how they made their illustrations and so on. And actually, even for adults, it's quite wonderful. And your son might enjoy them. I think there's a lot of artists who are using this opportunity of the the uh being quarantined to actually figure out technology and take a step forward and i think we're going to see more of that even when the quarantine is over because once you discover how many people you can reach it's really quite Addictive. wonderful 
Well, this oh, yes. this maybe dovetails into recommendations, Mom. Which is, was uh, do you have a recommendation that I assume is linked to watching people do something online? I have a recommendation that has nothing to do with art, although music is art. I have discovered this dance party DJed by this guy DJ Nice and. Every night he's been doing what he calls club quarantine. It's not to everybody's taste, but it is to mine. And so if you go to D-Nice. What kind of music uh, is it, Mom? It's uh, rhythm and blues. It's uh, hip-hop. It's all kinds of, th- as I say, it's not to everybody's taste, but it's he does it for like hours every night. And it's Are you dancing great in your music. house, Mom? Yes, yes. So this is now I'm getting exercise during the quarantine by dancing. It's fantastic and it's great music to um, while you're making your lonely, you know, sandwich <laughs> for dinner. There you are dancing. I mean, it just I went to sleep last night listening to this music and I was dancing in bed. It really puts you in a good mood. I, I'm. And but then on the other hand, I listened to a guy who's a, a Polish countertenor, and he has a great Instagram feed. And so I, maybe you know one day he's singing opera or or Renaissance music or something. I mean, I have this is Eclectic where I tastes. Yeah, but what I was gonna say is, you do it in your art too, Julie. You're not just interested in one thing or one type of art or one medium, and I think. Being open like that helps you grow because I can't, believe it or not, I can't think of everything myself. (laughs) (laughs) I am actually surprised that you admitted that. I don't just eat one kind of food, right? I don't just read one kind of book or whatever. And I think this weird coronavirus isolation is forcing me to explore Normally in your life, you don't have that much time. And so you you go to the things you know will satisfy you and that you know you'll want. But this is more like um, browsing, exploring, trying things. And so in that way, I found it, although I'm in isolation, it's been a rich experience so far. That's good. We'll have to find out in a couple months if you feel the same way. Or it's completely, totally nuts. We'll find, we'll, we'll find out, I'm sure. So, Susanna, what's your recommendation? Well, now that I, I have an artist I wanted to recommend now that okay. I had a few minutes to talk about, everybody should check out Alexandra Buckle. She is a UK-based printmaker. Her work is very different than mine, but she has beautiful reduction prints, one of which we bought uh, while we were in London, and I really love her style. So that's one thing. Um is that B-U-C-K-L-E? Yep, that's yeah. right. Yep. And Alexandra, not Drea. Or it's just with an A at the end. Um, I love how she carves. Like, I just love her, her the language of her carving is so beautiful. Um, and then, yeah, on this, like, stuck in the house thing, my other recommendation is, like, learn something new. Um, and that everybody should learn how to cook. My husband and I, we love food and we're like, some people don't know how to cook. Like this must be so hard. 
They're going to be in You know, I was reading in the paper today that Americans are turning away from kale and toward comfort food. So there's like a lot of people are buying Spam and Oreos. <laughs> I, can, I can get behind the Oreos, I have to say. There's some, but if, or a package of Oreos doesn't last long in this house, so <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah, my son would eat all of those Oreos. So what new thing are you learning then right now? What are you working on? Um, that uh, I'm learning... Uh, I am, my husband and I are committed to learning how to record online classes because everybody's wanting them. I had already wanted to do it. Um, this podcast was part of it because he really wanted to do the sound. So he spent no fewer than like five hours yesterday making sure that everything was perfect and it was working. Um, and, uh, and he needs to sort of do it for his work too. Um, and so we're going to, Try and figure out how to make some printmaking classes. Cause That's awesome. That's, and I'm baking all my bread from scratch because sometimes wow. I eat, but what else am I doing? That's awesome. So you have a very good, yummy smelling house full of technology and bread. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, as for me, my recommendation is uh, Jane Austen left a unfinished novel when she died called Sanditon. And there was just a mini-series that I believe was done by the BBC. It was on PBS. Um, and it is very good, very unsatisfying. It has also led me down a rabbit hole of now reading a ton of Sanditon fanfic, where many different people try to complete the unfinished novel in different ways to varying levels of success. Um, but the miniseries is really worth watching, and uh, if you are interested in some fanfic, there's plenty of it as well. And I will say I made Steve watch Sanditon. I'm not sure that he was super excited going in, but then he was 100% addicted, and he would say to me as we were eating dinner or something, he would be like, do you want to watch an episode tonight? So, you know, I think it works for everyone. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. I'll just tell you that in England when it aired, People went crazy at the end. No spoilers, but they were very, very yes, upset. Yes, it is unexpected, <laughs> to say the least. So, uh, although I will say I did call it, I just didn't think I was right. But that's a separate issue. <laughs> well, they wanted that. Remember, toward the end of it, they're making it up because she of didn't finish she didn't that finish it. Part. I know. So, so they are leaving themselves open for another Another, another, another season. Yes. But what I was going to say is part of the fanfic fun is you, it's the same, it's the kind of the thing that Susanna, you were saying about you give everybody the same instructions and you end up with something different because the novel's unfinished when you read the, the books that were written by other people on top of Jane Austen's work, it's like you're reading the same book, but then it has a different ending each time. It's kind of fascinating. Oh, how fun. It is. It's lots of, choose your own adventure, grown up version. So is there anything else that you would like to add, Susanna, before we wrap up? Um, no, I mean, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I mean, that hour flew by um, and it was such a pleasure to talk to you both. Right back at you. And I do want to make sure that we uh, mention your online shop and how people can find that. Uh, linocave.com and you can just type linocave into a into the search browser and it come it pops right up and uh, I, I did actually uh, list some hoodies up there and I have a big hoard of them that I bought from savers 
when I was also hoarding stuff at Costco beforehand, I'm like, I'm getting a bunch of hoodies and I'm just going to be <laughs> stuck in the house. I don't know how I knew, but Saver sent out an email and said they're closed now. So, um, so I'm ready to print them. I do custom orders too, if people want a custom one. So, um, uh, yeah. And, and I don't, I, I sort of, I was going to say, I'm sure when you find out how to do the online classes, they'll also be available there as well, or people can follow you on Instagram to find out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm best on Instagram. Uh, usually everything's announced there first. So, um, follow along and, uh, and yeah, I'll let you know as soon as, uh, as soon as I get it going. Fantastic. And mom, I assume people can just find you in your house dancing away. Dancing. Perfect. Absolutely. And as, Dance <laughs> and as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us an email or leave a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, which I know you want to, you can leave a review on iTunes or mention us on Facebook or Instagram. That just helps people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.